Hello friends, my name is Natalie Hills and for the longest time I was searching for people just like you. People who understood how it felt to be different, to think different and who genuinely want to make a difference. This is your safe place to be inspired, a judgment-free community and a place for free thinkers and soul searchers to unite. This is Soul Mood Podcast. Yeah, I'm so excited. Yeah. So, <laughs> right, so today I am um, um, bringing you the absolutely beautiful Yaz. Uh, heal with Yaz on, is Heal with Yaz, isn't it, on Instagram? Heal with Yazio on Instagram. Heal with Yazio on Instagram, yeah. Um, and wanted to talk about codependency and uh, narcissistic abuse. So Yaz is a, a codependency breakthrough coach and yeah, we've just been talking for about an hour <laughs> before, <laughs> before jumping on here. So much that we want to cover, but yeah, it'd just be really great for you. I think if you start off by sharing like a little bit of your story and, and how the whole, um, how you became a codependency breakthrough coach. Like, I met up with an old friend and she was doing coaching and I was like, you know, I've always wanted, because I was really into self-development at this point, like very surface level self-development. Like, you know, I'd read the four agreements that changed my life. I implemented a lot of things from that, um, you know, manifest now, the secret and all stuff like that. It's still quite surface level compared to what I'm doing now. Um, and it did help but it wasn't enough. There, there was still a lot that was, you know, just being undealt with. And I felt like I used to use a lot of the toxic positivity, you know, like, oh, just keep positive, blah, blah, blah. And like, you know, really reject, you know, the feelings of, you know, having a breakdown and stuff like that, because it's normal when you're presented stuff like that. And I think, you know, I spent so much time rejecting it that, I wasn't allowing, you know, myself to release it. So anyways, um, I looked into this coaching course and every single module of that and the NLP, I was like, oh my God, I need this to heal myself. At this point, I had no intention of ever getting clients. I didn't even believe that I could get clients until, Mm. (laughs) until, until like way after I'd finished my course. I just didn't think that, I used to have a really limited belief, like, oh, who actually pays for coaches except, except rich people? And so, yeah, I finished the courses, but in that time I'd done, um, I always felt really, really called to Reiki, mm-hmm. really called cool to Reiki. And I looked it up loads on Google and I met my Reiki master on Instagram. And it's so funny because she's got a private profile and I came across her profile one day and I was like, wow, I need to add this woman. And I didn't know that she'd done Reiki at this point. So I added her and I loved her content. She, I just felt so drawn to her. Um, I felt like, you know, when you just feel like that feeling of home around yeah. certain people. Yeah. And I messaged her and um, I said, oh, how did you learn to do Reiki? I really want to learn. Um, but I just don't want to go with just anyone because it's like, you know, quite sacred and it's energy, um, trusting your energy with someone. 
And I went to her because she said, um, oh, I teach Reiki. Come and have a session. See how you feel. And then we will um, go forward. So I had the Reiki and it was literally incredible. I had the most profound experience. Um, At the end of my vision, I saw a face of a Japanese man. And I didn't know what it meant at the time. I said to my partner, I was like, I don't know what this means. So I just kind of left it. And a couple of days later, my nan went into hospital with a nan that I was really close with. And I was absolutely devastated. Um, She passed away. But basically, for a few days, she was in a coma. And she'd had a blessing and of this guy and I walked in the room the guy that was giving her a blessing was the same Japanese man that was in my vision it was literally incredible so I was like right I'm definitely going back for the Reiki and the Reiki level one I had like a major major experience like you know I fully felt the energy go into my hands like you know it was incredible actually and um the Reiki two was literally threw me into a real healing crisis had like a massive healing crisis but it was all part of where I've got to now you know I literally you know was forced to look at my mother wounds my father wounds um you know how I was parenting that was a really tough pill to swallow I think for about a month I'd go through like whole weeks where I was literally on my knees, like on my knees, like realizations just coming at me constantly. Like, Oh my God, how have I not seen this before? Like, you know, certain people that I was getting triggered by, I started realizing that everything that was triggering me in them was parts of me that I'd fully rejected and it was hard. I was like, fuck off. I don't want to see this. <laughs> I don't want to see this. No, I will not see it. And I was like, it just kept throwing itself in my face. But it was so needed. There were certain people that I was so triggered by that, you know, I'd get heart palpitations around. That's yeah. how strong it was. Yeah. Um, and I obviously couldn't stop dealing with them. Um, so I was so grateful and now we have like a brilliant relationship not triggered anymore but it was you know accepting those parts of me that you know them controlling parts of me the bits that you know I'm shoving advice down people's throats (laughs) (laughs) that don't want to hear it and stuff like that and stuff that I hate being done to me I started realizing wow I'm actually doing this to other people and it's a really tough pill to swallow but yeah, the Reiki too really propelled me into that. And my Reiki master, she is incredible. She really supported me during that time because, you know, I was sending her voice messages like, what do I do? I'll make it stop. <laughs> make it stop. So funny. There are so there are so many similarities between mine and your story. Um, mm. the, the relationship you had with your granddad, same with me. And I and I feel like for me, my granddad was my dad growing up. Mm. And, you know, he was a person that kind of really held the family together and that everybody loved. And when he passed away, that was actually the beginning of my crumbling mm-hmm. to rise up through the ashes. Because um, that's what made me kind of question my life and my decisions because I hadn't experienced death up until that point. And bear in mind, he passed away 11 years ago. So, 
that was at the very beginning of 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 my journey um you know same with the the way that we've the process that we've gone down with the the coach and the NLP but also the Reiki it's really funny because I had an experience um we'd gone away for one weekend and I went and had reflexology done because I I used to want to be a reflexologist when I was a teenager that's all I wanted to do was be a reflexologist and and a a homeopath basically but at that time I didn't really know how to learn it and the only options that you had available to you was to go and study to be a beauty therapist oh wow a beauty therapist no but that was that was what was open to me like that was the only way that that I knew how to do it um but I never followed through and went to college to study it because um yeah it just it it just didn't feel it didn't feel right and it's funny how I've done this like 360 and then come back to that point it was like two decades later but I had this experience and she was doing reflexology but she also in she did Reiki with it as well same thing, getting visuals, stuff like that. And she was, when I came out of it and said how powerful it was, she said, I could really feel it. You should, you should go and do Reiki. Unfortunately, I had the opposite of what experience of what you did. Um, the Reiki teacher that I went with to do my Reiki one, it's the first time that I've ever been around anybody that works within the energy field and it felt fake really it just felt so fake it felt so fake I never did my Reiki too I, ah. because I was like I don't I don't know so it's but it felt woo-woo to you well it didn't it it wasn't it felt woo-woo because I've always been into spirits and energy and things like that and I knew that I had my beliefs but it, it just felt it didn't feel right I'm getting like flashbacks now of things that was happening and it, and it just it just fell off. It just mm. felt really off. And I remember thinking, maybe this just isn't, just isn't my, just isn't my path. So I won't kind of, I won't kind of pursue it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's funny how there's all these different, all these different similarities. And I think anyone listening to this will probably feel the same. Like mm-hmm. there are certain things that I believe that anyone that's a wounded healer, which is essentially mm-hmm. what we are. Yeah we all have these similarities in in place we've all struggled during childhood we've all seemed to have had these really narcissistic relationships um and then gone through so many dark nights of the soul oh my god <laughs> <For days. laughs> problems with addiction I was the same you know I don't drink at all now but uh, exactly the same as you like um used to go out drinking all the time drugs like there are healthy ways of 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 experiencing that like yeah it it is important for us to move our bodies and to be around music and to sing because that's all part of our energy kind of working its way through us well we still felt alive in those moments but we didn't really need the 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 extra yeah because we're expressing this natural thing that's trying to come through us well, I've started to realise because I was um I've been doing a lot of work around unconscious desires right now. Um I feel really drawn to it. Because obviously I've I've really always loved like the you know, the limiting beliefs and, and the subconscious programs and stuff like that. But the unconscious desires are really like interesting. So obviously it's all in the name. And I was listening to this guy who brought up a really interesting concept and he was saying that, you know, people that do drugs and alcohol 
mainly drugs. Um, they're usually either looking, you know, they have a desire to have like a mystical experience mm. or they're trying to escape something that they're going through. So I think I switched between the two because obviously um, I've always been very like spiritual. I used to see spirit when I was younger. I used to be quite afraid of it though. I always was quite scared. I didn't, I didn't want it to happen. Um, but they used to come to me and it, it was quite scary for me. Um, and I was always told that I was lying. I was always told that I was being a drama queen and stuff like that. Um, but when I used to take, you know, like MDMA and things like that, I used to have like really, really mystical, profound experiences where I felt, you know, like, oh, like just felt so much love and I felt love for everyone and everything and mm. could see how everything was so connected. Um, so I think when I look back on it, yes, I was trying to escape from things, but I definitely think I also had an unconscious desire to get to a state where I'm at now without the drugs. Yeah. Because I have that every morning, just having some cacao or, you know, doing my meditation. I achieved that same state that I was chasing back then, now, but without any of that, that's, um, you know, the, the drugs and stuff. Because obviously with all that other stuff, you get the come down and your life's a bit chaotic and, you know, definitely didn't help my situations at all. Um, but I just find it really interesting that, you know, like you said, the wounded healers, we was probably trying to find a way to express our spirituality in a way. 100%. I mean, I actually, I think it's chill is because one of the biggest breakthroughs that I had and what enabled me to finally stop drinking, which has been almost seven, seven, almost seven months now, beginning of August, is that I actually started having a relationship with alcohol when I was about 11, like, a, like quite, a, quite a bad mm. relationship with it. And that's because I was trying to suppress myself because everyone thought I was weird. Everyone thought I was a hippie. No one could deal with the fact that I was naturally really compassionate I saw the, the good in everything and everybody and I would that they, they used to they used to call me a witchy poo because I'd be like oh, I've got a really bad feeling about tonight and then something bad would always happen. Mm, I just yes. so tapped in and so I mean in the end I was like well if I drink then it's kind of acceptable that I say these really otherworldly and weird things because people mm-hmm you know classy in fact one of my friends said that my name so like natalie but nat stood for not all there like, <laughs> okay. and I'm like okay like that that is i was just like the weird kid you know it was just a weird Me kid. Too. and so i just suppressed it all that time and when i come back though because there was oh there was so much that came up then and i was thinking oh this would be really beneficial for people but first of all i think it's really important for people to understand uh, the traits of kind of like codependency and also the traits of narcissism because as somebody that oh, there's so many layers to this but as somebody that was really codependent you attract that mm. you attract the yeah. into your life but then yes. also as I won the shadow some of the shadow work that I was doing over the last kind of seven months and I had to realize and recognize it in myself that I also had narcissistic tendencies mm-hmm. So, like, how would you describe somebody that is codependent and then someone that is a narcissist so that people can kind of get clear in their minds of, oh, yeah, actually, I am one or the other or both? So, basically, I think 
So I've come up with a couple of this. This blew a couple of the girls' minds on my course. Cool. I've got a theory that a codependent is an unhealed empath. I think both codependents and narcissists are both spiritual viruses. Um, so basically, because each of them has, well, a narcissist has no sense of self. They've given their self a false identity a full self to as like a coping mechanism during childhood they would have completely abandoned themselves um their actual self and then a codependent also has wasn't able to expand their self sense of self as a child um so as a result you know they would have had to fawn people please um you know, if they grew up in a enmeshed family system where, you know, people are not able to grow and expand or, you know, if they've had an abusive or neglectful childhood, they would have, you know, had to learn to people please as like a coping mechanism. So as that comes around in, in adulthood, it's like attracting people that you feel are taking advantage, but... And that is true to a degree, but I always say, like, when it's with codependency, it's people pleasing, but not from, not always from, dare I say, it, a place of love. Mm. It's usually from a place of guilt, yeah. um, a fear of abandonment, um, obligation, mm. or that you need validation. And then, so I call it the drama triangle. And there is actually, it's actually a, a model that's used. So it's, you know, like the people pleasing up the top or the rescuing and caretaking other people. Then there's that whole cycle where you feel resentful, you feel burnt out, you're, you know, you're, you're pissed off because you're giving more than, than people, you know, are giving you. So if you're searching for validation, People are not giving you that level of recognition that you want, the level of gratitude and stuff like that. And then it turns into persecution on this on this bottom left hand triangle. <laughs> so it turns into like persecution of yourself. You're feeling mad at yourself. Like, you know, why am I getting into this cycle again? Why am I a doormat? Um, you know, why does this keep happening? Everyone takes advantage of me. Yeah. And then you're persecuting them as well. So then you start, you know, loudly persecuted them in silence if that makes sense so even if you're not majorly expressing that it will be that you know you're punishing them somehow whether that's you know the silent treatment and things like that um then that obviously that person picks can pick up on it sometimes there's conflicts and then you end up in victimhood then you're back in victimhood you know why does this always happen to me I'm a doormat blah 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 so there's always like, so with codependent behaviours, so there's people pleasing, caretaking and fixing others, struggling with boundaries, not being able to say no, overextending yourself, whether that's in relationships, friendships, family systems. Oh, that is really strange. Um, <laughs> um, sorry, I lost my flow then. Um, and then work as well. Like I always find that codependence... I don't like using that term in that way, it puts people in a box, but there's a word for it. So it's like, yeah. yay. <laughs> um, I think are, as well. Yeah, are the best um, employees for a while because, mm. you know, they'll do 
go above and beyond at work. Um, they'll never say no to a shift. They won't be late. They'll always be, you know, taking on other people's work without question. But that only lasts for so long um, because obviously, like I said, the persecution stage comes in and they'll start getting pissed off, resentful. Um, and then in the end, they'll probably quit. I know I went through dozens of jobs in that cycle. And this triangle, you know, can happen in a place of a space of minutes. It can happen in a space of hours, months, years. You can just be doing this cycle in the triangle. You know, it's not limited to a certain time frame. Um, I was the ultimate codependent. I could not speak up or say no to anything or anyone. And, you know, it filled me with so much shame because even when it came to my kids, I used to let people boss me around when it came to my kids. Mm. I used to, you know, um, couldn't, Aaliyah's my daughter's dad, like, you know, I couldn't say no to him. I almost lost my daughter over it, our bond or whatever. And, yeah, in the end, when I found out that there was an actual name for it, I was like, wow, like, this is something. This is actually something. And I, I literally lived and breathed it, lived and breathed it, read books, um, went to a couple of CODA meetings because they have, like, CODA meetings, codependency, 12 steps. They actually have a 12 steps for it. And there is a common theme. It's people that have grown up in a childhood where a parent's been an alcoholic or chemically dependent or a narcissistic parent. Um, emotionally unavailable parents um you know there's so much to it attachment styles I do a lot of work around attachment styles um I've literally I could speak for days on that um <laughs> and then obviously the narcissist um if anyone don't know what a narcissist is it's like they can just never take accountability for anything that their whole reality is just completely different and Codependents and narcissists have very similar traits. They're two sides of the same coin, basically. Um, obviously, with codependents, they, well, I guess a narcissist thinks they're doing it from a place of love as well because they genuinely believe that they're not doing any anything wrong. So there's a lot of crossover. Um, that's why I have a lot of my clients saying, you know, I have, do I have narcissistic traits? And there is a lot of crossover. Um, but with a codependent, they can usually recognize that they have these issues and, you know, they can, they are willing to do the work and I get a lot of good results. Whereas if you've got someone that's a narcissist, they will rarely, rarely accept that they have any of these issues. And the reason why codependents and narcissists are so attracted to each other is because they share the same wounds you know, a lot of them would have manifested in a different way. Like, for example, like, as you know, Nat, an abandonment wound can either look like um, you're clinging on to people, you're not letting them breathe because you're overthinking things all the time, or it can manifest as in you're pushing them away and you're not letting anyone close. So, you know, the people that we come across are usually mirroring I mean, you know this, Nat, like mirroring something back to you that needs healing within yourself. Um, so, yeah, with narcissists and codependents, they're always going to, it's a very toxic dynamic, but it is showing you 
what needs healing within you. I mean, a narcissist probably won't take that, wouldn't take that on board necessarily unless they're really, can really recognise their behaviours. And the fact that, you know, because they've got an over-inflated sense of self, they think that, you know, there's nothing wrong with them. It's everyone else. They're the, they're the victim in every situation. Yeah, and yet, but they don't, but they don't portray themselves as a victim. No. And it's, it, what you were saying about it being a toxic dynamic, it's so true because whoever is more codependent and basically their attachment style is just to not let, you know, if you're in an argument, then you have to, you have to sort it out because you, you're going into anxiety. I need, I need mm. to sort it out now, I need to sort it out now, I need to sort it out now. And then that gives a power away to the narcissist because then they're kind of like, oh, no. I don't want to sort it out now. I've got the power here. So I can mm. drag this on. I mean, I used to get kicked out of my house for like a week at a time, have to go and sofa surf at a friend's or something. And then when it was, when I was allowed to come back home, I could then come back home and you'd go back in, back into that same dynamic again. And then they'd be the, the one to comfort you and, oh, it's okay now. We, we can forget about it until next time. You know? Yeah. But it is, it, there are like you said there's so many crossovers and when you can get to a place where you can recognize first of all what your codependent behaviors are it's so funny as you were talking about that because I'm like oh I'm still so codependent in so many ways in terms of um you know my work ethic you know I'm really getting much better at that now of like not taking on too much and I've one of my big things over the last couple of weeks actually has been bringing more balance into my life like actually do you know what like I, yes. I I turned around today the other day and I said right you know Monday to Friday that's when I'm doing x Saturday that's when I'm doing this Sundays I am never ever ever gonna book any work in I'm never gonna book in any um yes. like, time with friends or something because on a Sunday I want it to be me and you and Aoife that's it and if you've got plans on a Sunday, that's totally fine. I'll do something with Aoife. But from now on, that Sunday is my day. It is our day together. It's our day of rest. Whereas before, I would constantly be like, oh, yeah, I need to do this thing. Or, oh, you know, it's only a couple of hours extra overtime. So I'll just do this because you don't want to say no. Or you do want to say no, but you feel obliged to do it. So there's, mm. there's still there's still parts of me even that is codependent, but it is having that awareness and also being brave enough to have the awareness of, actually, I do have narcissistic traits. Actually, I do try and control the situation. Oh, yes. I try and control people. I do try and manipulate people to do things in, in my way. Um, I probably hadn't really recognised before just how just how similar it actually is because this whole conversation I keep flitting back to the relationships that I've had and I can as an observer I can see the dynamic you've become the witness isn't it like codependency is huge on control and this is something I really really uh rejected until very recently um it's massively about control because obviously take my mum, for example. So when I recognized her codependency traits is when I was doing the 
um, the drama triangle, because what it used to happen is when I used to look at the dynamics of when my dad used to kick off, not blaming my mom, not victim blaming, because it's still wrong what he'd done. Um, but, you know, she'd go and rescue him from one of his drinking episodes. And then she would start, you know, trying to control his behavior. She would take his bank cards, take his money to try and stop him drinking. It never stopped him drinking. It made him worse. Um, she, meanwhile, my mom's losing her whole social life. She's losing her happiness. She's just miserable. She's missing out on our bond. And then she'd, you know, save him for one of his drinking episodes. He would come home and then she'd start bitching a little, little comments here and there, you know, just kind of you could tell she was pissed off, you know? And then at this point, and I'll tell you, this is what I've discovered recently about the empath thing. So at this point I'm in fight or flight, you know, ready for, ready for it to kick off because I would know I could feel the tension, mm-hmm. could read the people's behavior. And my dad would blow, blow up. He'd be like, what, well, you know, you keep bitching, you're sniping. And obviously he was drunk, not saying it's not his fault because that's, that's never um, acceptable but they were both you know I grew up for ages thinking that my dad was the problem but it was also my mum's codependent behaviors that were contributing to this um toxic dynamic and what I was going to bring up was about the empath thing and I'd like to get your view on this so I'm doing a bit of a study at the moment so I have a lot of like psychic moments I'm really really you know I'm highly empathic i can take in energy so much like to the point you know I get overwhelmed have a lot of um psychic experiences like you said but I've got a theory and I'd like to get your input on it um because I feel that every empath I know has experienced fight or flight in their childhood a lot of the time so they would have been you know in childhood traumas or anything that caused them to be in fight or flight mode a little a lot of the time so it's made me question is em- uh, being empathic a result of having childhood trauma and spending a lot of time in fight or float so you're hyper vigilant you know you learn to read people's emotions really um you know instantly as a form of survival or you know picking up on vibes and energy and stuff like that is that linked because like I said, every em- empath that I know has, you know, spent loads of their time in that fight or flight, flight circle a lot of the time. Yeah. So what do you think about yeah. that? Yeah, I, I do actually. And a place where I find um, there's quite a lot of people that speak about this as well is as a, as a platform is TikTok. There are so many people on TikTok that speak about exactly this hypervigilance. And it actually helped me understand why I'm so empathic because Mm -hmm. it is we we had to we had to be able to understand how somebody was going to react for me as a child what I used to do is was um obviously because it's you've got fight flight or freeze I'd freeze so I'd make myself invisible yeah that's that's what I would do I would I would make myself invisible and then every now and then I'd come in with a bit of with a bit of fight but generally I became invisible because I was only child no one you know really wanted to play with me all I wanted was to spend time with my mum she was young she was literally just turned 20 she was basically 19 still when she had me just turned 20 
Um, she was working up in London. She was going through all the stuff with my dad at the time. It was a similar situation in that my mum and dad were going to the courts over me. Um, but my dad would never turn up. And because my mum's so young, you know what you're like when you're, and not that I'm making excuses for her because I'm not, but I also understand what we're, the different mindsets that we're in through different ages. Mm-hmm. But when you're in your 20s, you're still kind of finding yourself and you know she she never held back she would she would always kind of talk about and complain and moan about what my dad was doing so I knew like I had to grow up so fast I feel like I was an adult by the time I was four or five I don't feel like I had a childhood because Mm -hmm. I I knew everything that was going on and, and I never kind of showed that emotion I just took it I never cried or you know got got upset about oh my dad's you know not turning up at um you know at um at call or you know even even things like knowing um that my mum had had a miscarriage when I was about I think I was about four and I knew about that at a young age but I obviously didn't understand it so I spent between the ages of kind of like four or maybe like 10 or 11, whenever someone would ask me, probably until nine actually when my sister was born, and that was my mum and my stepdad, but I would never see myself as an only child. I saw myself as, a, as I had a sister, but she was in spirit. Mm. Even that, like processing all that stuff. So it, it, it definitely makes you hypervigilant. It definitely makes you more connected and to and and more of an empath because you have experienced some sort of trauma and the other thing that I really want to share as well and it came I was thinking about it when you was talking yes I think also people dismiss their trauma so if you think of the word trauma it's quite a strong word so people will think oh well you know I wasn't sexually abused when I was a child or I wasn't beaten when I was a child that is trauma but it's still also trauma to experience your parents fighting it's still trauma to experience feeling like you was alone as a child these things are still you know all abuse is emotional abuse like it's still things that you're having to process while you're trying to learn about the world so I feel Mm. a lot of people also dismiss their trauma and don't recognize it and I think that basically the entire world is in some way or shape or form is, is codependent. Yes. And definitely, yes. definitely, definitely now, this is something that I, I posted about a while ago now where I said, like, you need to recognize if, if you didn't have PTSD before 2020, you've got it now. Like mm. everybody is suffering some sort, sort of post-traumatic stress because of what's been happening over the last kind of 16 months. We've been in survival mode, whether you're believing uh, the the whole pandemic, obviously they've been pumping fear out like no tomorrow. (coughs) And if you don't believe it, (coughs) excuse me, that you're worried about your rights being taken away and thinking like, am I going to be able to eat if I don't comply with certain rules? So either party is experiencing um, that survival mode. Mm um that fight freeze or flight that's why so many people are becoming so reactive um either party either side you know me being I used to be one of those like I try not to get triggered by certain things that I see now I just scroll past if I don't agree with something 
Um, but you know, they are they put they're putting things out there deliberately. And this is another thing, like, you know, I think as a collective, there's so many oppression wounds going around, you know, you know, as children, oh like picking back up from where you said about you know, people minimising their trauma or, or fantasising their childhoods. I did a lot of that. You know, I really romanticised my childhood. Um, it wasn't until I'd done my Reiki 2 that I started really seeing it for what it was. Um, but, you know, even if you, not to put any mum guilt on anyone because we all have to do what we have to do, but, you know, even if you had a parent that worked a lot, that could be considered a trauma. You might have an abandoned wound, for, wound from that, you know. Um and it's just amazing because I know I've definitely probably given my kids inner child wounds, especially my daughter. I mean, it was so insightful just listening to you talk about your childhood because that's my daughter and she has heard a lot of things. And, you know, before I became um, a lot more conscious, I did used to complain and moan and she probably had to caretake my feelings. And it's just having that awareness, isn't it? Like, when I taught my course the other day, some of the women on there were, you know, like, oh my God, I've given my kids that these issues. And I was like, look, calm down. It's never, if you've got a child with them under seven, you know, you've still got plenty of time because then they're still in that hypnotic brainwave. So you can give them new suggestions and things like that. I was like, and also, you know, I'm going to be teaching on my course ways that if they have got older children, if, you know, at some point their kids go through a bit of a healing crisis and they want to go low or no contact while they process um, how to deal with that. Because, you know, I think that that's important to know, because if we have if, you know, like me, for example, I've got to prepare myself for the fact that my daughter might blame me for a few things as she's going through healing and stuff like that. And I will give her that space to and I will always take accountability as well. I think that's the main thing because, you know, when you go no no contact or low contact with your parents while you're trying to process things, what you'll really want is validation of your experience. And a lot of the time they don't give that to you because they're like, oh, you know, oh, I'm the worst parent in the world. And they go into like victimhood yeah. when really all you want to hear is, yes, you did go through that and I'm sorry. And, you know, what can I do to make up for this? Um, so I think that, you know, I will be teaching a lot of, of that on how to cope with them situations, like giving them the space to process if they do go through that, but then also, you know, validating their experience. I would actually really like to do um, at some point in the near future, record another podcast where we can actually speak specifically about how we've been able to change our parenting styles and what we've been learning mm. is like I so resonate with everything you're saying and and when I become aware of how I was behaving and how it was actually my inner child dealing with it from a place of this this was how I was dealt with Mm. and because you know my daughter is six and so I, 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 I don't want anyone to feel like it's beyond repair after six or seven it's it's going to be harder but you you different ways of dealing with it but ever since I became really aware of what I was doing I've been able to start changing that and and helping and I think it would be really beneficial actually for so many people if we could do some sort of a podcast where we actually speak specifically about okay 
now we're aware that we probably, you know, made a few mistakes. How can we rectify that? How can we help our, our children? Now we've got to a stage where we've already helped ourselves. I think that, especially, especially now, because children are so wounded from what's mm. been happening, it would be really important to, to, sh- to share with people some tips on how they can actually help um yeah help them navigate their life basically going forward from all of the fear and things that they've been experiencing um I just wanted to um ask as well something that I was thinking about um a while back is if someone is listening to this and they recognize that they are in a relationship where they are codependent and their partner is a narcissist um or vi- or vice versa um but we know that those that are codependent are going to be the ones that have the awareness. So the mm-hmm. chances are you're not going to be a narcissist listening to this thinking I'm the problem because yeah. that's part of the, that's part of the thing. Um, so if you are codependent and you are thinking, right, okay, I am actually in a relationship with a narcissist, but you want to do something about that. You want to try and make that relationship work or, um, you want to kind of start taking that step towards, you know, helping yourself basically. So you're not co- constantly in this toxic dynamic. Because I do believe that there is potential there for people to be able to go on a mm-hmm. healing together. What do you? What would you say? Like your biggest tips to help navigate that sort of relationship? It, it, it kind of, for me, I feel like it's not that the codependent should be taken on more of the responsibility. But if, if as a codependent, you have more awareness, what can you actually do to have a better relationship in that situation if you really feel like you want to continue that relationship? So, yeah, I would definitely say it's not about trying to caretake or fix them anymore because that's definitely the problem because obviously it's like a um what's the word power balance like it's out of balance you know there's always like an out um out of balance thing so so my biggest advice that I give to people that are in narcissistic um dynamics whether it's parents um whether it like that they can't go no contact with so if that's like a parent a a child a, a family member that you just can't go no contact with um, I use the grey rock method quite a lot. So I don't know if you've heard of that, Nat. So mm-hmm. basically, um, you know, what a narcissist thrives off of is your emotional reactions and responses. Mm. So obviously this is not linked to trying to help them heal. I'll come on to that in a sec. But this is like one of my biggest tools that I give my clients. So it's like, and it, I used it in my own life before, before I knew it was a thing and it changed everything for me because I don't know if you've ever sat there now and, you know, they, they're starting to attack you again. They're devaluing you. You're in a word salad or you're in a gaslighting and stuff like that. And then you start over explaining yourself and, over justifying and sending paragraphs and trying to make them see what they're doing and and it just ends up you know completely flooring you because you're trying like you're using all this energy trying to get them to see 
what you're where you're coming from and they just can't see it and then it becomes worse and it just spirals and it's snowball and then you know you don't even get anywhere and you end up apologizing or something because they just can't see it so basically the gray rock is where you just don't give them any emotional responses so when they are devaluing you or gaslighting you or you know trying to put you in a word salad crazy making behavior you just become as interesting as a gray rock so you're just like mm, okay mm-hmm. and it's so hard it's so hard you know because especially if we are infused with these beliefs that you know stuff but communicating communicating like that is rude um and in a way it is and it's not abuse so a lot of people say well, what does what what does this how does this differ from abuse or like stonewalling so <clears throat> obviously it's all about intention so if your intention is to protect your energy and stop stop them sucking your energy it's not to hurt them then that's not abuse obviously if you're doing it as a way to hurt them get back at them or something like that then you know that's kind of meeting them at their level um but it works really well when it's done consistently and properly and Obviously, it could heighten their abuse at times. Like, I always give my clients the analogy of um, a can opener. So, obviously, if a can opener stops working the way you want it to work, you're going to keep trying, keep trying. You're going to get pissed off with it, swear at it, maybe throw it. I'm not saying they're going to throw you. But eventually, they'll have to just give up. So, I feel like the grey rock, when it's done consistently... And you just don't get into these, you know, power struggles of trying to make them see that you're a good person and then you're then you're not what they're accusing you of being. You just cut it dead like, mm. yeah, okay. And then with your boundaries, just being like, you know, no more asking, no more like, oh, you know, can I do this or can we do that? Obviously, it's easier said than done and it takes a lot of self-work to get to that point where you're able to tell them your boundaries um it takes a lot of resistance but you just see everything change but in regards to them healing um I would say it's the same process as codependency so in a child healing for sure um working with the subconscious mind hypnosis and things like that because if they've got the same wounds as a codependent then it's the same process so if someone comes to me with narcissistic traits um, I would just treat it the same. So when the client comes to me, I do a codependency will and break it down into like self-worth, um, boundaries, abandonment wounds, people-pleasing, caretaking and fixing others, how much you controlling people or situations around you, time for yourself and stuff like that. And then I get them to rate it out of 10, give me three examples of where this behaviour exists in their life currently. I would use that same with a narcissist because it's the same it's the same traits really it just manifests differently um but obviously it would be harder to you'd have to really expand their awareness a lot more Mm. I think that if anything you'd have to put them in a really um heightened state of consciousness um so obviously on my course I you know the first lesson that I'd done the other day I put a lot of questions and it's all about putting your mind in like a really hyper state of consciousness where you can really see some of your behaviors and raise that awareness in in your day 
and it's all around like childhood programs you know when when today did my childhood program come out the most who made me react you know um so yeah I would definitely treat it very similar I mean getting them to realize is one thing and all I would say to people is tread carefully um because some of them will never see yeah yeah uh, yeah yeah I, I'm just sitting here thinking yeah there are some people that that will never see but I also I, I do believe that when you start doing the work on yourself you show up differently and you mm. will you will you will know if that person is either going to up their game and want to become more aware and change or or they're not they're going to get more controlling it, it, like when you become more silent like what you were saying about the gray rock when you become more silent it kind of like heightens their emotions because they're mm-hmm. in that kind of reaction back so if you start working on yourself and you start becoming more confident in yourself and you start setting boundaries and you start saying no and you become less codependent that change in your energy will be so obvious that they're either going to be like, well, okay, there's something going on here. I think I need to look at myself or they're going to become so unbearable that you're just Mm. like, this isn't for me, but you'll be so much in a stronger place where you'll be able to have those boundaries to say none. And you feel unshakable. I feel like there's not like now, I mean, obviously life happens or whatever, but you know, so many things happen now and I just I'm not I don't feel shaken by it Mm. don't feel shaken by it you know when they you know when they come up you with the attacks or whatever um I'm just like I just feel so I've got to a place where I feel so whole yeah so whole and obviously I still have these little teething problems like you said I've had to set myself Wednesdays and Thursdays off um, and I do recognize a couple of codependency patterns, like, for example, um, I had a friend that, well, I have a friend that wanted me to go to this, like, event with her. And I really didn't want to go, didn't really know anyone, blah, 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 like, um, and I didn't really have the time, uh, but I was just, like, I felt a bit obligated, so, and I just just went because I thought I was being, being a people pleaser again and then um something happened where I wanted her to come to something with me and then she was like oh I can't blah 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 like I'm going she said she would and then she um, messaged me and was like I can't go I'm going um my other friends messaged me this yesterday after she said yes ages ago and I've got a bit you know pissed off about it but then I started pulling myself up I was like no, this is a you problem. This is a you problem because you could have just said no in the first place. You know what I mean? I thought this is a codependency pattern coming up. And, you know, this is this is something I've got to deal with. Do you know what I mean? You could have just, you can't blame the other person because you didn't, you know, honour your own boundaries. You know, no, like... Because I always just ask myself now, am I doing things from a place of love because I want to and because I, you know, care for them with no attachment to the outcome? So no wanting validation or gratitude or anything like that, just purely from a place of love. Am I doing it from a place of love 
or am I doing it from a place of guilt, obligation, wanting some validation, want a little hit? Um, am I doing it for, because if I'm doing it for either of those reasons, then, you know, I need to pull back and think about, think about how I'm going to proceed because, yeah, you just end up in that cycle otherwise. And now I just feel like I'm showing up as my authentic self because everything I do is from a place of love most of the time. Obviously, we have them little little sneaky patterns that come in sometimes, but I'm on it now. <laughs> I bet you yeah. feel like that too. And if anything that you can take from listening to this, it's just important that you recognize that no matter how bad your life seems or no matter how bad, you know, or, or no matter how codependent you are, you can, you, you can change it. Like mm, 100%. you can hear like the both the similarities and in, in our stories. And that's only, that's only brushing the surface. Like there'll be so much more to both of our stories that you don't even know, like how mm. bad things actually got. And I just, I truly believe that, as long as there is hope that's all you need and we the reason why we keep going is because we know we know deep 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 down that something can change and I think we just kind of misplace it we just kind of think oh they're gonna change Mm. they will change they will change it's not they will change it's I will change yeah we can't control anyone else we can only control ourselves And that's actually really liberating. Like when I realized that no one was coming to rescue me, (laughs) no one was coming to rescue me. I have to like, you know, pick up the pieces of my bloody self. Like it was terrifying, but at the same time, so liberating, like to being, you know, you can, you can't control others. You can't, that's the whole thing I teach with codependency and you'll just be so miserable trying um but like you said there's always so like this time last year I was still very very knee deep in codependency so that just goes to show how quick and how long lasting this work is like a year ago that's nothing I was literally in the mists very yeah very codependent yeah definitely well thank you so much for today I love that and I definitely think we need to come back together again and we'll do one specifically yes. on fair and thing um and help there because I think that would be really beneficial to people um so yeah so where can people find you and also like let let everybody know as well about your breakthrough from codependency course I don't know if you're taking any extra people on that now but if you're not you'll obviously be doing it again so it's important that people know where they can go if they want to specifically work on breaking out of codependency? So obviously I do one-to-one. I do like separate inner child healings, working on like, you know, isolated wounds. Um, My 12-week program is amazing. Some of my clients have had amazing shifts. Um, And my 12-week course, well, it's actually 13 weeks that I did a language patterns one at the end language of a manipulator um but we work in three core pillars so I start with you know giving you um you know everything to know about codependency narcissism um you know family patterns conscious parenting giving you all the information then then we start working on the core wounds like uh, abandonment wound mother and father wounds um guilt and shame self-worth rejection all of that And then we start going into, you know, 
um, boundaries, fear fighting, confidence boosting, all of that stuff. Um, so obviously I've just done the first week of that, so I can still take some people. Um, but if not, I'm doing, I'll be launching again in three months time. So just give me a message on Instagram. It's at Hill with Yazio. Um, I would love to chat anyway. So if you want information, I always um, answer my messages too. Cool. Right. Well, thank you so much for today. We'll leave it there. We'll, we'll thank you for having me on. Good I love that. Yes. Guys, thank you so much for listening yeah. to this episode. Uh, I appreciate you more time. than you will ever know. I hope it left you feeling inspired, maybe shared a new perspective with you, or even just left you feeling less alone. Whatever the reason, I appreciate you. So please, if you love it, subscribe to the podcast, share it with your friends. And of course, if you know someone that has an inspiring story or is just really passionate about helping other people, I want to know who they are. I would love for them to spread their message further using this as a platform. 